Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And as always, we'll start by going over the match day results. So on Friday night, we've seen Eintracht Frankfurt hammer Peter Boss's Bayer Leverkusen 3-0. A result that is less surprising when you hear that Eintracht Frankfurt have won six of their last seven on a Friday night. Something about Fridays, eh? Anyway, into Saturday, we had Union Berlin beat Freiburg 2-0. If you haven't seen it already, check out that. Belter of the first goal from Bolter. Unbelievable. Fortuna Dusseldorf won Mainz nil. RB Leipzig won Wolfsburg one. That's right. Wolfsburg still unbeaten under Glasner. Werner Bremen won. Hertha Berlin won. Osberg two. Bayern Munich two. Unbelievable, eh? A last ditch goal by Finn Bogerson. 91st minute sees a draw there. That's probably the surprise of the weekend. The late kickoff game on Saturday, seeing Borussia Dortmund get back to winning ways 1 0 against Borussia Munchen Gladbach. On Sunday, Cologne three, Paderborn nil. And the final game of the weekend, seeing David Wagner's team lose. 2-0 to Hoffenheim. Yes, Schalke missed the opportunity to go top of the Bundesliga. So, yes, I think uh, once I introduce the two fellas, um, we will discuss just how close it is at the top of the Bundesliga. Yes, two points separating the top nine sides. So, let's get into it. Joining me, as always, the Football Grad Network creator, Manu Vett. Manu, how have you been? And what a weekend, eh? Great weekend. I mean, wonderful results. Um, this Bundesliga table, I know we're going to talk a little bit about it, but yeah, that's, that's the tightest I've seen it in a long, long time. So very excited to chat all about it. Um, but how are you, Bryce? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, actually. I got to watch plenty of sport this weekend, which was all good. Unfortunately, the weekend finished off with watching a terrible game. No, not Hoffenheim Sch Schalke. Of course, uh, Chris and I, who I'm about to introduce, um, had to uh, watch that Liverpool Manchester United game. And well, it, no surprise that it was a terrible game. Uh, though a point gain rather than a point loss. And I think at that point, um, Manu, we should probably get on to Chris. Um, Chris Williams joining us, um, as always. Um, Chris, how are you today? Are you, are you still awake? That is after that game. Yeah, of course I'm awake. Um, I'm awake because having keep an eye on what's been going on in Germany as well as what's going on in England, I can only see we've got a situation where we've got a league table that nobody wants to go top of, really. Um, loads of teams giving up the ground. Leipzig decided they didn't want it against Wolfsburg, who evidently didn't want it just as much. And then I think the real big surprise for me, Bryce, wasn't the Bayern Munich game. It was the fact that Schalke, who've started so well, uh, missed the chance to go top for the second week on the run. Yeah, incredible, really. I mean, I uh, I'm holding my hands up once again, uh, which I seem to be doing quite often, and saying that Schalke, I had kind of wrote them off at the start of the season, and uh, was foolish to do so. But um, I would have been made to look even more foolish if they had have went top. Uh, Manu, can you remember? Obviously, um, 
you've probably been into German football even longer than Chris and I have been, um, saying you grew up with it, um, supporting 1860. I was thinking the other day we need to have a little bit of a catch-up on how they're doing. But anyway, back to the Bundesliga. Uh, can you remember it being as tight as this, uh, especially in, in recent years? I mean, this, this is really something else. I mean, any listeners out there that um, don't know what we're talking about, one, shame on you, but two, get your phone out and check it out. It, it's incredible, Manu. Yeah, it really is. And this is, I mean, we spoke a little bit ahead of the podcast and this reminded me a little bit about, um, the, all the way back to 2002, I believe it was when uh, I think there was three or four clubs that could win the title and it ended up going to Borussia Dortmund. And, um, that was a bit of a surprise in the entire year, you know, the title, the tail was very tight. Um, but to, to be quite honest with you, Bryce, before this run that Bayern had with the, you know, what is it now, seven Bundesliga titles in a row, th- this was quite normal in the Bundesliga. This this league um, always really very much defined itself by having a, having parity, you know, that everyone could win it. Yes, most of the time it was Bayern, but it wasn't really Bayern every year. It it was Bayern and then maybe it was Wolfsburg. It was Bayern and it was Stuttgart. It was Bayern and it was a couple of times it was Dortmund. Bayern and then it was Werder Bremen, you know, there was, there was very many, many different title holders. Kaiserslautern won it a couple of times in the nineties, for example, right? Those are things that we, we don't really remember, um, because the stretch of Bayern's dominance has been so long and it's been almost unnatural for what this league is about, because this league is about the way it is right now, not about Bayern winning the title with 21 points every year. Um, and this is something that, I mean, yes, a lot of us have forgotten because it's been so long, but this is really what this competition was always about. And I'm kind of glad that, you know, I hope that it lasts a long, long time. Um, Chris said before the podcast, you know, we want this until the very end. And yes, that would be kind of idea. I mean, it'd be, if it would be nice to, I, I, I realize it might not be nine teams that could win the title on the last day, but have it like maybe three or four. Um, that would be very exciting. And I think that's what we want. Um, anyone who follows this league, that's what we want. And, it is due to some extent also to maybe the top two teams not performing quite as they should. But I mean, you know, you have teams now playing much better football and the teams that have developed over the last few years. The, the, the Friday result is a great example. Frankfurt over the last few years have really come into their own. And even though they lose big players every year, they're, they're, they do very well compensating that and even improving the side. And I think that's that's something that a lot of teams in the league have just gotten better at. And I think that's also adding to the competition overall. Yeah, that's it. Um, I, I think it's definitely making it more interesting. Uh, I mean, Chris, would you say that it's a, a good thing that the league is as tight as it, it is with you at the top nine? And I, I mean, it obviously leaves it very interesting. But, you know, it also means that maybe nobody has been... Uh, you could argue maybe no one's been that good that they've won all their games and, and charged on. Well, I mean, yes, you could say, well, you know, Dortmund have been quite poor and so have Bayern, but you can't take it away how good Gladbach have been. 16 points from eight games is a good return. Same for Wolfsburg. Um, so th- as Manu said, this is what you want. You want teams to be taking points off each other. Um, and you just hope it can last because what you don't want is one team to suddenly put its foot down, be that Dortmund, be it Bayern, be even Gladbach. You don't want that team one team to just run away with it and then it becomes a fight for the top four and then that suddenly gets diluted to a fight for who's going to finish in you know the three slots that could go to the um, Europa League potentially and, and who's going to get relegated out the bottom two because poor old Paderborn now look assert to be relegated. I can't see them um, mounting some sort of sustainable challenge to drag themselves out of 18th place. So we want it to be nice and, and tight at the minute um, Hoffenheim had a wonderful result against Schalke, beat them 2-0. That was a surprise. And they're in 11th. Uh, sorry, yeah, they're in 11th on 11 points. That's five points off the top. That's two games. Any any team can win two games back-to-back quite easily. And, and that, wouldn't that be a story if everything um, turned around and someone like Hoffenheim won two games on the bounce and all of a sudden they're second or third? Yeah, I think you want a tight league. Um, it makes it virtually impossible to predict, which is great. Um, even for people like Manu and I and yourself, who um, we rely on being able to predict things and, and read into games, sometimes going into a season where it's completely blind is beautiful because you just carried along on the crest of a wave and, and is exciting. And yeah, Manu's right. I would love to be in the position on like the end of match day 32. Manu and I are sat down and thinking, where are we going to go 
for match day 34. Where are we going to see the title be lifted? And it's no fun when you're booking and saying, okay, so who's going to go to the Allianz to see the trophy being lifted or who's going to go to Dortmund and watch it? We want to sit down and go, where where are we going to be on the final day to watch the um, Meister Charlotte be lifted? And that's, that's, the, that's the horrible decision that I want to have to sit down and make and potentially pick where I'm going to be with two games left. And yeah, of course, the tighter the league, the better. Yeah, absolutely. I think the end of the season, if it came down to the last few games and we even had half as many teams, you know, as close as they are at the moment, it would it would make for a fantastic finale, wouldn't it? But um, guys, let, let's talk about um, games. And well, we're, we're going to be saying this quite a lot. Some teams that could have went top. Uh, and we're, we're going to start with the Friday night game between Eintracht Frankfurt and Bayer Leverkusen. Now, as I said, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt won this one 3-0, two goals from Paciencia uh, in the first half. Um, I mean, Manuel, it was very much um, a typical, um, we, we called it a Bosk ball game, didn't we? Because uh, Leverkusen had more of the ball, they had more chances, they didn't take any of them, did they? You know, Eintracht were, were very clinical and yet Leverkusen missing out on the opportunity of going top of the table, but because they didn't win it, uh, in fact, because they lost it, they're sitting in ninth. Yeah, that's how ridiculous it is. But um, Frankfurt then are now in the mix as well, as they're sitting in eighth with 14 points as well. Um, where exactly did it go wrong for Leverkusen? Um, th- this seems to be all too often for Peter Boss, doesn't it? Um, many a goals in a game, whether it's for or drastically against his side. Yeah, I, I think we have to... You know, when you, when you look at the stats, we have to differentiate between shots on goal and actually just, um, goal chances created. Because, um, you, you're quite right that Leverkusen had more of the ball, um, and had more shots on goal. But, you know, Bryce, this was 2-0 at half time and it should have been 4-0 for Frankfurt. Because, yes, they didn't have as many shots on goals, but they definitely had the better chances. And they, they were allowed to roam and when, whenever they did win the ball and they did have the, what was it? Um, 35% ball possession. That's, doesn't sound like a lot, but they seemed, and Chris always puts this so nicely. It doesn't matter how much you have of the ball. It's what you do with it. And when they had the ball, they did a lot with it and they were more effective when it came to you, the usage of the ball and the usage of their attacks and going forward and, it's because they were allowed to. And this, this Leverkusen, you know, you have someone like Kostic, who is basically given free reigns by Mitchell Weiser. Um, you know, it was like boy against man. He just cuts through that left side at will at times. And that is just something that just can't happen if you are Leverkusen side. Um, but if you are Frankfurt side, of course, you're going to make the most out of it. This is a side that, Went very, very deep in the Europa League last year, playing against big teams, you know, um, the likes of Inter Milan, Chelsea, Benfica, um, got some very important results. And when, when you look at that midfield, yes, they lost their, their top three strikers, right? Who they replaced very well, I think, with, with Silva and Bastos, who has been fantastic this year already. And Paciencia, who's really coming to his own in this league. They haven't really lost that much quality up front. They were actually able to take lose those three key pieces and bring in three players that pretty much replace it. But when you look at their midfield, it's very much the same than last year. And um, they can bully sides in midfield. Um, you know, someone like Kostic, but also Rode, who really stamps his authority onto matches. Then you have someone like Hinteregger, who really pushes the game from the back. There's a lot of muscle in the side, and there's a lot of assertiveness in the side. And if you are a team with no defensive blueprint and no... um decisiveness in your in yourself if you have someone like Mitchell Weiser playing defense then you're in trouble and that's exactly what happened there because Frankfurt doesn't need much of the ball you know they need only a few moments and then they will execute you and that's exactly what they did you know they, they are, there's almost a little bit of Bayern Munich in this Frankfurt side um, of course not in the level of talent but in this in the sense that they, if they if they get if they get going you know that they're going to get a result. And that's, I think that is a lot of it comes down to that long run that they had in Europe last year. You know, they gained a lot of experience in that and they just know when a side is being ready to bully it. And Leverkusen was ready to be bullied in that game. Chris, um, Manu's obviously talking uh, very positive, 
exactly about uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. Eight games in, we've talked plenty about how close the table is. Both teams have 14 points. Who would you say at the moment would be the uh, happier coach uh, and the happier fan base as well between uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and, and Bayer Leverkusen, eight games gone? I mean, we, we do sound a little bit like broken records when it comes to Peter Bosk, don't we? I mean, the first part of your question, I think the happier would be Eintracht Frankfurt because they lost some real key players in the summer, um, key to how their system um, was instigated last season. You know, look at the goals that they've lost, for instance, um, from the two players that left. So if you look at that, then you would say, well, Frankfurt would be happier um, because by Leverkusen have had the chance to go top also, and I've, I've not taken it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I tweeted out the other day, if you want to pick apart by Leverkusen's approach to football, don't do it through defending because Peter Bosch isn't really keen on it. It's all about scoring goals. You know, if you score, score two, we'll score three. And occasionally that works, but, uh, you know, occasionally it doesn't. And to defend Peter Bosch on this, I thought that Leverkusen played quite well. I thought that the individual decision-making um, was poor in the final third, um, especially um, from from some of the wider players. If you look at Kevin Volland was asked to play further wide on the left, um, and I didn't think he played that well. Uh, Kai Havertz took a knock to the knee, didn't play particularly well after that. Um, I may take a little bit of the blame for that. Wrote an article for Forbes about how Guy Havertz is a hundred million euro golden boy and key to a sustained title challenge. So I think anybody knows that the minute you write about someone in that sort of um, high esteem, um, 24, 48 hours before they have a game, that they generally have a stinker. So, um, so yeah, that made me smile a little bit. But yeah, I thought I did genuinely think that Leverkusen played well. It's not like a few weeks back where I saw them um, at Dortmund. Um, get punished heavily and beaten heavily at Dortmund and they played particularly bad. Um, they did offer a lot going forward on Friday night, but it was their finishing was poor. Um, and Manu mentioned it earlier. Um, sometimes you will play against a side where they will quite happily give you all the possession and they will just pick you apart with their quality when they've got it. Um, and obviously the, the guys up front and um, Paciencia and Dost had that quality when I was in Dortmund watching the game against Leverkusen, it was Dortmund that had that quality and were able to just say to Leverkusen, look, you obviously want to play us on the counter. We're not going to do that. You can have the ball and, and go with it. And this is something that I think Peter Bosch has undone by in his past, is that he does play very exciting football. Um, but managers, very good managers and coaches, um, like Lucien Favre, Adi Hutter, etc., will work that out and go, okay, well, we'll just play the opposite way that you want us to play and we'll put the emphasis on you. And then when you come out of us, we'll just pick you off at a quality. And that's pretty much what, what's happened to them when they've come up against good sides. Um, so something that Peter Bosch needs to look at, it's, some, it's a problem he had at Dortmund, um, thrilling football. Eventually, um, I don't, I'm not saying he got worked out, but the way he likes playing football was worked out by other coaches. And hopefully for him and Leverkusen, um, he can find a plan B because if he doesn't, then Leverkusen might not get as high as they were last season. But let's not forget that they played brilliant football last season and they, you know, they're in the Champions League for a reason. Um, and I think once they hit that groove again, um, they'll be back in, in the top four slots. It's just they've had the chance to go top now a couple of times and like Schalke, haven't taken that. And there comes to a point where you can do that once or twice a season and then all of a sudden that chance for you to go top isn't taken. And it's not taken two, three, four times. And you find yourself in ninth, but not in a nine-way fight for first, which they currently are. Manu, uh, to focus uh, on Eintracht Frankfurt just before we uh, move on here. I mean, this is a, a great result for uh, Hooter as, uh, as they go into a, a tough spell um, in the next few weeks. I mean, they're unbeaten in the Bundesliga in their last four, but they've got Standard Liège coming up, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach then away to St. Pauli in the Pokal, and then Bayern Munich. I mean, that's the perfect type of game, isn't it, to uh, set them up and get spirits um, nice and high before going into that run. Yeah, seven weeks of truth. Yeah, and you're, you're quite right. I mean, then the, the run of play is going to be very difficult, and it's going to be, uh, many people predicted it would be very hard for them to pick up points. So going into those weeks with a 3 nil win over Bayern Leverkusen, it's pretty much ideal, isn't it? Um, I, the, the two games against Standard Leash, 
um, stick out to me because that's going to be very tough. It's a very difficult place to, to go to, um, in Belgium and very, very, you know, very loud atmosphere as well, um, for European games. Gladbach, of course, you know, um, despite they lost to Dortmund, they're staying top of the table. So this is going to be um, a very interesting matchup between two teams that are only two points apart from one another. Then the cup game in, against St. Pauli again, you know, second division side. Yes. But at the same time, this is a very difficult place to go to and, and play football at. And I think it's going to be, um, fascinating watching that and see how Frankfurt do there. And then of course, Eintracht Frankfurt against Bayern. This is going to be a game I'm going to be at. Um, and I'm really curious to see how, how they're going to, where they're going to stand, you know, after this run against Liege, Gladbach, St. Pauli. Where are they going to be in terms of their development? Um, are they going to be able to take that Leverkusen result and move forward with it? Because, you know, they can get a real good momentum here, which would make the game between Frankfurt and Bayern very, very interesting, especially the way the league is set up. This could be a top four fixture at that moment, right? So, um, um, weeks of truth for Frankfurt for sure. And some really interesting weeks coming up for them. And I think, you know, when you, when you listen to what, um, Adi Hütter and the players have said after the game, I think that's what they want. They want to be there as a club. They want to be in the stretch. There was a lot of media suggesting that, oh, this is going to be very difficult. And they said, like, look, this is where we want to be as a club. We want to have big, important games. We want to be challenging for top positions in the league. We want to be playing in Europe. We want to play deep into the cup. Frankfurt is a big city and it's, it's a sleeping giant that is slowly being kissed away by Freddie Bobic and the likes. And I think when you look at their progress over the last three, three years or so, you know, that, this is, they've, they worked very hard to be in a position where they're in right now. And I think that they're really cherishing the opportunity to be playing these important games right now. Yeah, absolutely. But guys, we're going to move away from the Friday game as we've got plenty more to talk about, Sam. Most notable, uh, we'll talk about that Augsburg Bayern Munich uh, result being 2 2. Um, yes, the champions are slipping up uh, again. It, it doesn't seem like anyone really wants to uh, take control of the Bundesliga, as we've said. Um, so this was a late goal by uh, Finn Bogerson as well. Um, you know, and Nicolas Sula picking up an injury, having to go off very early, 12 minutes in a torn ACL. So it looks like that'll be the end of his season on the same leg as what he's done previously. So um, a real um, kick-me-while-I'm-down moment for Bayern on Saturday. Uh, Manu, we're going to go back to you because I I know that you watched the game. Uh, We were messaging backwards and forth, weren't we, the three of us? Um, I mean, another banana skin for Bayern, um, but... um, even worse to lose such a player like Sula. Yeah, let's start with Sula maybe because um before we go into this whole mess that is Bayern at the moment, and I mean, a lot of it sounds very similar to the where they were exactly one year ago, right? Um, a lot of re- re- repetition of the problems. But let's start with Sula because this this is this is this is just a really bad injury for him. Um, he's a very 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 big guy. Um, I think he's a meter ninety five. He was ninety eight kilograms, but he's at the same time he's he's the fastest player or is among the fastest players in the league. There is a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of stress on on that um, on that body uh, in terms of you know where he how he plays. Um, and so having torn the ACL for a second time is a big blow. Um, the, the good news is ACL injuries aren't as big of a deal as they used to be. You know, it's an ACL tear on its own is not a career ending injury. Usually what is makes complications because I saw a tweet today comparing it to Bartstuber's injuries. Um, with Bartstuber, there was a lot more wrong inside that knee than just the ACL. Um, you know, usually ACL tears come as a package deal, then either you hurt your MCL as well, your meniscus. If it's just the ACL, that's an easy one to repair. So I hope he has a speedy recovery. But that leaves a huge hole in the Bayern defense at the moment, right? Because they were going to build this defense around him, um, Hernandez and Pavard. And um, I think they must be just super thankful at the moment that Jerome Boateng um, did not leave the club. Because... Can you imagine what would have happened if Jerome Boateng had left the club in the summer? All of a sudden, you have uh, two healthy centre backs, and that's it. Um, but at the same time, you know, you look at the, you do look at the play, way they play. 
that that still leaves a lot of question marks because all of a sudden you have Hernandez who has an injury injury, injury history. You have Pavard who has been bullied a little bit in this league. He's still finding his own. And then you have Jerome Boateng, who also has an injury history. Um, that defense was such a big issue last year. And there was so much talk about how they have gone out, spent a lot of money and improved that defense. But it doesn't really, at the moment, it, it looks like this is going to be a big issue going forward still. And, you know, they're conceding a lot of goals at the moment. And I think that is something that they really need to worry about going forward. Yeah, they really are, aren't they? Um, Chris, the, this is a, um, as I mentioned, you another banana skin for Bayern, um, heaping on the pressure to Kovac uh, and uh, everyone else at the club, I suppose, but mostly him. Where do you think it's going wrong at Bayern at the moment? Uh, it, it seems like you know, one week they seem to have sorted things out, you know, the likes of uh, bringing in Coutinho, you know, and all of a sudden it's exciting and they've got a bit more edge about them. And then something like this happens. It's consistency. And that is, if you can work out how to be consistent in football matches, you win leagues. And that's something that Bayern haven't had a trouble with, especially for the past um, seven seasons. Okay, they weren't 100% last season. But before that, I mean, their consistency was unchallenged. Um, and I think they won last season, even though we can say they weren't particularly good comparable to their previous seasons. Kovac did get a level of consistency going. Um, and it's something they haven't got so far. If you look at how good they were against Cologne, if you then look at how they played the week after that and then this week, it, it's, that's, that's what it is. It's consistency and that's what's missing. And how do they get that consistency? Well, that's key to, how they then um, finish the season. I mean, they're third and they're one point off. They're going to play um, Union Berlin next week at home. Um, you would expect them to steamroll them at home in the same way that they did to Cologne. And if that is done, then brilliant. Um, but that won't address the consistency that we've seen when maybe they're away from home, for instance. Um, we've had... We have had instances and, and a key into how good this Bayern side are. Let's not forget, it was only a couple of weeks ago that they went to London and um, steamrolled last season's Champions League finalists in Tottenham and they picked them apart in 10, 15 second half minutes. Um, and they have got the quality to do that. It's just they need to replicate it. Um, last season, they didn't have a particularly good game against Augsburg at home, same time of year. Um, and it led them to a, a number of strange results after that. Um, so if you're a Bayern Munich fan, you will hope that that doesn't happen again. But looking at their run of fixtures, uh, not just at home, but in the Champions League as well, there is a, there is a way for Kovac to get around this. And, and that he does have the players, and Sula will be a massive loss. Um, no matter if it's one match or 15, he will be a big loss. And Manu's right to highlight the defensive issues that they've had. Um, and we did say that they needed to go out and spend some money and bring in some big players. And they've done that. But you've got to make sure you bring in the right players. And one thing you don't get at Bayern Munich, unfortunately, for any player, is time. You don't get a season to be not particularly good and then get that second season syndrome where all of a sudden you're one of the best players in Europe or even the world. You need to hit the ground running at Bayern. And unfortunately, some of the players they brought in haven't been able to do that. Um, Coutinho's come in and made a bit of a big difference already. And they need everybody to do that. But that's easier said than done, Bryce. Yeah, when you also look at the, the even the Tottenham game, Chris, they conceded two goals in that game as well, right? Um, so it's two against Augsburg two against Tottenham, two against Hoffenheim. And they, they almost easy goals. And, you know, you have you have the attack. Um, I Actually, the forward attacking line, I'm not worried about that at all. There's so much quality there. And Lewandowski is now on 13 goals in eight games. I mean, he just scores and scores and scores. And scores. Um, he has as many goals in eight games as most strikers finished the season with. But it's just that that back line is really worrying. And it's almost a bit like Bayer Leverkusen's problems. If they don't outscore the opponent, they, they, they cannot rely on the defense at the moment. And that's, that's going to be okay against Olympiacos and uh, Red Star Belgrade. And I guess against Tottenham as well with all the issues that they're having. But in the Bundesliga, that's not going to be fine because, you know, they, they conceded in the first 45 seconds and then they conceded again in the 92nd minute. 
that would have never ever happened in that in that previous spell under uh, Pep Guardiola or Ancelotti. And that is, if I was a Bayern fan, I'd be really worried about that. And I can't see with Stuhle being out, I can't see that improving anytime soon. Yeah, I, I agree. And Kimmich, if you ask him, he's happy to play right back. He, he's also happy to play a little bit further forward. Um, so, I mean, have they got a midfielder playing as a right back or have they got a right back playing as a midfielder? That, that's probably a question for another day. But if you look at that back line... I know you said it already, Hernandez and Pavard haven't settled particularly well. Sula's now injured. Um, and Manu and I talked about this great length um, off the pod over messaging and, and when we chatted, um, over voice chatted. I don't think Manuel Neuer is as good as he was two, three seasons ago. So not only do they think, I think they've got a backline problem. I also think that they've got a keeper that's coming to the to the top of his crest. He's been a wonderful, fantastic keeper, the best in the world for a number of years. But I think he's beyond that curvature now. And the only way for him is down. And I don't say that he's a bad keeper. What I mean is he's not going to recapture the form that he had two, three, four years ago. And so they need to be looking. And I've said this, this is going to be the third season I've said this now. Uh, They need to start looking for a Manuel Neuer replacement because Sven Ulreich isn't it. He's all right to come in and, and do the odd games. But when you've got a world-class goalkeeper, you need to replace world-class and world-cast. It's all right having an okay number two that can come and do the job for four or five games. Um, I genuinely think that they're going to need another one or two defenders in there, especially centre-back-wise with Sula being out. And if he's out for a long time, I think they're going to have to spend big in January, something that German teams don't like doing. But then who are they going to get? Because if you look over to England at the moment, Manchester United have spent a world-record fee on a defender that's probably not even worth a third of that money. So who are you going to get to come in with world-class quality for world-class money? That's the problem they've got. Likewise, who are they going to replace Manuel Neuer with? That is world-class. I can't see Jan Oblak going there. I can't see Tostegen moving, although it would be quite funny, but I can't see him moving from Barcelona to Bayern Munich. Um, and that leaves Alisson, who isn't leaving Liverpool, and Edison, who won't leave Manchester City. So outside of that, they're now scrapping around for a keeper who's going to win them 10, 15 points a season, which Manuel Neuer would have done two, three years ago. No, I think that's Alexander Nübel, right? He's coming in from Schalke. I think that everyone kind of knows that. But um, I actually almost wonder... Yeah, but is he world-class right now? Because if he comes in, he has to operate at that level straight away because they they don't have the redundancy on the bench for him to come in and, and take five, six, seven, eight, nine games to do that. If you look yeah. at Liverpool by Liverpool, the Champions League, it's because Alisson came in and played at a world-class level straight away. Um, um, Bayern Munich need that now. They need somebody, whether they go out and pinch someone like David De Gea from Manchester United, who aren't doing particularly well. I think De Gea is a good keeper, but right now I don't think he's any better than Manuel Neuer. So I don't who think are they going to get? I, I don't who think are they going to get to come in? I don't think at this moment there's many keepers that are better than Manuel Neuer. But um, you know, I think that you're quite right that sooner or later they will have to address that because um, injuries are something that has he has picked up more and more, and he's now 34, I think. Right. So um, we all know what happens around that age. Chris and I, in particular, but um, yeah, you're quite right. He won't be able to eat spicy food soon. That's no, that's thing. for sure. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I think that Nubel is going to be that keeper. Um, and when you look at his projections, he, he is going to be a world class keeper. I'm gonna, you know, stack my head out of the window and say that right now. Um, the defense, and I think you're quite right with that as well. I think they're going to probably regret not making a bit for Matthias de Licht. You know, that's the, the player missing. Um, and they were so focused on other targets that I think that they almost overlooked that one a little bit. And I think they were in for Matthias de Licht and they just, you know, for whatever reason, he ended up going to Juventus where he's struggling because Italian football is very different from Dutch football. It's a very different way of playing. And uh, I think the Bundesliga would have actually suited him better. But, you know, those decisions have been made. Um, maybe Bayern will pick him up in a couple of years when his price will probably drop and that will be rectified. But uh, I think that is actually maybe the one where they kind of missed out. A little bit um and that is going to be something that is going to be interesting to see what they're going to do over christmas what's also going to be very interesting to see guys and i just saw this um apparently hassan salihamidzic 
So we're all ready for a belter tomorrow. Um, I hope you guys are all going to be ready to record this and uh, go on Twitter, etc., to see it. Um, he's going to address Friedhelm Funkel having criticized Bayern's defense. So be ready. Um, this is going to be a good one. Oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> uh, well, guys, let's go back to sounding like uh, broken records again. I mean, some things just seem to be uh, dragging on and on here. And um, this is the talk about uh, uh, Kovac uh, and I suppose his uh, future at the club. It seems like every week we're talking uh, about it. And there seems to be unrest whether he wins games or loses them or, or draws them. Um, President uh, Uli Hoeneß uh, was uh, photographed after the game looking a rather grumpy, Chris. Um, is, is that something that we should read into? I mean, uh, Kovac, is he under more pressure than ever or, you know, should we all just calm down a little bit? And my stance hasn't changed on this, Bryce, from the last time you asked me. Um, and I do feel sorry for um, Niko Kovac because I think he's a great coach, but he doesn't have the pull of a top manager. And unfortunately, he's at a top club um, and he'll go the same way as any other manager who's at a top club and isn't renowned as a world-class manager. Eventually, he'll take the blame for it and he'll go. Um I think he probably deserves another full season. Let's look at what he did last year. He won the double. I mean, that didn't happen by chance. Um, if he wins the double again this season and they get through to the latter stages of the Champions League, either the semi-final or the final, I think you can say that's a good season. Um, but unfortunately for Niko Kovac, you're not going to get players who, who from other sides who are going to want to run through a brick wall to go and play for Niko Kovac. They will do for Jurgen Klopp. They will do for Jose Mourinho. They will do for Pep Guardiola. You know, they will do for Zinazine Zidane. They will run through brick walls for them. I, that's who I want to play. I want to go and play for Real Madrid under Zinazine Zidane. I want to go and play for Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. No one, people will say, players will say, I want to go and play for Bayern Munich, but they won't say, my dream is to play for Bayern Munich under Niko Kovac. And that's where, unfortunately for Kovac, no matter how good a coach he is, he can't compete with that level of what Bayern Munich expect. Um, I think any other club, I think he's a, he's a top manager at the right club. I just think that Bayern demand names like, um, if you look at who they've had in the past, Ancelotti, Van Gaal, you know, Jupp Heitens was brilliant at his time, Pep Guardiola before that. Um, the, the people who are consistently linked, Jose Mourinho, these are all really big names of, of world-class managers who players want to play for. And unfortunately, poor old Niko Kovac will be just looked as the, the head coach that came from Eintracht Frankfurt. And he's almost, he's almost coaching with one hand behind his back and with that sort of millstone around his neck. So I do feel desperately sorry for him. But at some point, I think the decision is going to be made that no matter how good a coach he is, he doesn't have the draw that Bayern Munich need. And, and that's not his fault, unfortunately. And Manu, who's going to be the man to come in? Well, um, there's the name, of course, Mourinho is one that's mentioned over and over again. Um, but I would actually point to Eric Ten Hag, the Ajax manager, who's actually worked at, at Bayern before, um, as a possible replacement. But I'm actually 100% with Chris. I just want to echo everything that Chris says. Um, if Kovac had a different last name, we wouldn't even be having this discussion, you know? Um, so it's, it's a difficult one. And I think he's taking a lot of the blame for things going wrong that are not necessarily his fault. Let's just leave it at that. Yes, let's let's move on anyway. And let's talk about a team that are back to winning ways. That's right, Borussia Dortmund. They won the league kickoff uh, game on Saturday um, against Borussia Mönchengladbach with a goal from Marco Reus. Um, Chris, though, before we dissect the game... Um, a lot of people will be asking, where was Jaden Sancho? Uh, he wasn't in the squad. Um, could you explain a little bit as to what has happened to him this week? Uh, yeah, Jaden Sancho was sat on the naughty step. Um, he was um, dropped by Dortmund. We've seen this before in the past. Um, if any of their players show any sort of indiscretion, um, they will punish them with um, removing them from the matchday squad, which is what happened. Jaden Sancho reported back after international duty late. Um, and he was um, he was disciplined with the loss uh, of his place in the starting lineup. I would assume it would um, also run parallel to some type of fine. These things generally do. 
Um, but it's not new. Dortmund have done it before in the past. If you look at um, Aubameyang, who um, pulled out a Nike mask and put it on during a celebration, um, he was disciplined. Not the sort of thing you want to do when Puma own a massive stake in your club. Um, wasn't looked at right. Um, also, it's extra advertising not associated with the club. So that was an indiscretion. Um, we've seen them deal with Dembele's indiscretions in the past and you know throughout history. Um, Dortmund will come down heavily on their players. Um, and, and that's why Jadon Sancho wasn't there. And in the end, they didn't need him. But I think they did need him. And they always will need a player of that stature. You can't uh, lose your best player and expect to play as well. But I think it sends out the right signal to everybody in the squad um, that if you do something wrong, you're going to be punished. doesn't matter if you're the worst team in the player. Uh, sorry, if you're the worst player in the team or if you're the best player in the team. If you don't adhere to club rules, um, you're going to be um, punished in the most severe way, which is loss of your place. Um, for me, I think it's the right thing to do. Um, but it also brings up why is he late? Um, what, you know, what did he do? It's not the first time. He was uh, late a few times for training and was kicked back to the under-23s by Peter Stoger a few seasons ago. So um, he has had a few problems in the past. Um, it opens up more problems for me, I think, looking at the mentality side of the game, um, looking at you know the psychology of the game. Why has he turned up late? Well, is something not right? As he had his head turned by another club, for instance, Um We'll wait and see on that one, um, but it sort of under it sort of underpins this this bubbling undercurrent at Dortmund at the minute that something quite isn't right. It's okay this weekend because they've won, um, but when they drop points, um, be that one or three, sorry, be that two or all three points, um, you tend to see a few little um, a few little glances on the bench a few strange answers in press conferences. I personally don't think that everything is as right as it could be at Dortmund. Um, and I will await this coming weekend, Bryce, with um, bated breath. I will be at Schalke for the big derby. Um, I think if they lose that, and then we're looking at a couple of games and we've got the, the big one against Bayern, it could be some change in times at Dortmund, shall we say. Well, before we uh, possibly uh, speculate on a few of those topics and, and we talk about the uh, matches ahead, um, Manu, the, the game against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, the, the, this was, it may have only been 1-0, but they were going to take um, a three-point, uh, you know, and the, and the win, whatever way it was going to come, weren't they? Especially keeping a clean sheet, that's a positive as well. They could have scored on other occasions. I mean, this is... This is a positive uh, performance, isn't it, going into these trickier times, as Chris has just mentioned? Um, yeah, I actually thought the performance was was quite good. Um, you know, they were maybe a bit unlucky to having a couple goals chalked off, uh, especially that that first one um, by Torgen Hazard, which I thought was was a great goal. But um, VAR can be relentless. The offside rule is black and white. And unfortunately, Marco Royce's heel was off by a fraction of an inch. And that's enough. Um, the, the question, of course, was that a different play or not? Um, that, that how far do you need to go back to call it an offside? But, you know, I think that overall that the refereeing team made the right decision. It, of course, took away a stunning goal. Then they scored a second goal. Um, Julian Brandt, uh, Marco Royce this time offside. He was in the, the Jan Sommer's view. So again, um, you know, he, that was chalked off because he was offside, uh, and, um, inhibiting the view of the, the goalkeeper. Otherwise it would have stand, uh, stood the goal. Um, so that's basically they, they scored three goals in that game, right? That were called off because of fractional offsides. I'm not saying that the offside decisions were necessarily wrong because, um, Chris and I have discussed this many, many times. You either offside or you're not, um, you know, you can't be a little bit offside. That's not how the rule works. So I think that on balance, this was a good game. Um, because they didn't put this game away, the last, it was, was a six minutes of, uh, injury time because, uh, Roman Berkey, the goalkeeper had to go off, go off injured. Thankfully, I think with Marvin Hitz, they have someone who's just as good as Berkey on the bench. Um, the six minutes in injury time, they felt like a very, very long time, especially with everything that's happened. Over the last few weeks, you know, the, 
the three two two draws where they gave away two leads in all of those games where they threw away six points. You know, you look at those six points that they have thrown away, they'd be clear top of the table. Um, and that is really, I think, where a lot of this, this crisis mode comes from. Um, you know, they, they just seem so leaky in defense. We talk about Bayern's defense and they, Dortmund have conceded 11 goals in eight games. You know, that's, that's even worse than Bayern's defense. And that's not something you want to have in your record if you want to be a title challenger, which they, by their own, by their own statements, that's what they are, what they want to be. And I, I just don't think, um, the current squad against Gladbach, yes, they had a zero in defense. Great. Good job. But, you know, it seemed so volatile at times. And uh, maybe to go to what Chris has said, I almost feel like they need someone to put the foot down. You know, not necessarily. If Favre can't turn this around, maybe they sent the right message now with suspending um, Sancho for that one game. Maybe that was them putting down the foot, but that didn't come from the coaching staff. That came from upstairs, you know, and they have people like Sork and Watzke who do put their foot down, who are clear in their message, who are decisive in the message, who are also, you know, they are the ones that said we want to win the title. And then you have Lucien Favre on the bench, who I just, I love his football philosophy. But he's not one to give that clear message. He's not the one who's going to say, we want to win the title, right? This is, this is our mission here. We want to win the title. You'll never hear that come out of his mouth. And I'm pretty sure that suspension didn't come from him either. I'm pretty sure that came from, from upstairs. Yeah. And if, if we look forward to the games, um, coming up, as Chris mentioned, we'll go back to you, Chris, actually about this. Um, they've got midweek. Inter Milan in the Champions League, uh, an away game, and then they've got Schalke, a game that uh, you're going to be at, uh, Chris, uh, next weekend. Um, how do you see things going? I mean, Schalke, obviously, as I said, you know, are doing better than what I expected, probably better than what quite a few people were expected under Wagner. It's not exactly going to be an easy game, is it? Especially after maybe traveling uh, midweek. Uh, it'll be a real test uh, as to whether they've turned any sort of corner, won't it? Yeah, well, I mean, they're only going to Italy. It's not as if they're traveling to, you know, Bulgaria or, or somewhere like that. They're not going to the very far eastern um, reaches uh, of the continent. They, it's probably less than two hours in real time traveling by plane. So uh, they shouldn't be tired when they get back. Um, but they couldn't be playing a worse team at a worse time for them. Um, Schalke are a real challenger for me this year, and they have let two opportunities go. Um, and having spoke to David Wagner before, he's not the type of person that will take that lightly. So he will want a big response. And what better way to respond um, than against your fiercest, um, most hated local rival? Um, and it's not like a couple of seasons ago where under Tedesco, I think Schalke played pretty poor football. And, and even under the replacements, Schalke play excellent football and Dortmund have struggled with that at times when they've come up against teams who played, um, who play very well, play very attractive attacking football, like to press high, like to get in their face, like to nick the ball early, turn it over very quick on transition. They, they've stuttered and stumbled against, um, sides like that. So I think for Dortmund, um, I'm going to be honest, they're not going to win the Champions League. Being in it's great. Um, they need to get through to the round of 16. Anything above that is a bonus. Um, the Bundesliga is where it's at for them, especially, I'll say it again, said it now for the last few weeks, with the money they spent in the summer, they need to go all in on the Bundesliga because I genuinely feel they're not going to win the Champions League. I'm not saying throw in the cards and go out the group comp- at the group stage because then you fall into the Europa League, which they will definitely not want to be in. Um, they need to get through to the round of 16. We got through to the knockout stages. Brilliant. Great. Um, but the Bundesliga is where it's at for them. Um, and we've seen some faltering results, win, draw, draw, win, lose. They need to start putting together some consistency. You mentioned it about Bayern. Dortmund needs to start putting some consistency. And when you're looking to win your second game on the bounce, I don't think you want to be going away to Gelkirchen, um with that on your back. And so it's going to be a tough game, um, tougher for Dortmund than it will be for Schalke. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the other teams in and around uh, the, the sides like Dortmund and Bayern Munich, um, even RB Leipzig, that we'd normally expect to be up there near the top of the Bundesliga. And we'll, we'll talk about Schalke first. 
I feel so. I mean, sitting at the top of the table, we've got Borussia Mönchengladbach, Wolfsburg, both on 16, but then we've got Bayern, Dortmund, RB Leipzig on 15, and then Freiburg, Schalke, Eintracht Frankfurt, and Bayer Leverkusen all on 14. Oh, I need to breathe after that. But let's talk about Schalke. Schalke could have went top if they had won today, Manu, but uh, they failed to do so. They lost away to Hoffenheim. Uh, I mean, I keep saying it, don't I, that it's been a positive season for them and a start with uh, Wagner, but um, they're falling just short, aren't they, when when they could have um, really seized an opportunity with the other side slipping up. I mean, this is the second week they could have went top. Where is it that they're they're falling short? What what is their problem? <laughs> yeah, um th- they will be very frustrated with this result today. Um I was I was watching this game and I I think that Hoffenheim for all the good that Schroeder has been doing, um, you know, they're very much a side in transition. Um, a huge changeover with Nagelsmann going and s- several big players leaving the club this summer. They're definitely a side in transition, right? But they, they have been good. I mean, they now took three points of Bayern. They took three points of Schalke. Um, obviously they're a difficult team to play, but at the same time, I think that Schalke should have won this game. And I think what is really missing for them. And I'm really curious, um, Chris, if you're going to be able to maybe, um, ask this question when you're in Gelsenkirchen. Um, what they're missing is a striker. That's, that's the number one thing, in my opinion. They're missing, they're missing a 15 to 20 goal scorer striker. Um, they've been linked with Gabriel Barbosa, you know, who's, um, owned by Inter Milan, but is on loan out of Flamengo. That would be the kind of player that could make the difference. And I think that would, would have maybe also made the difference today. Yeah, you're 100% right. And, I haven't only really seen the highlights of this game, but if you look at how much um, possession Schalke had, they had the dominant share of it. And it's not like they can't get forward, but they can't turn opportunities into goals. Eight shots, one on target, seven off target. That is pretty poor um, and something that needs to be refined. And it's not, it's not a big problem. It's easily addressed. Um, and you just need to find someone who can put the ball in the back of the net. A couple of seasons ago, they had the same trouble and they, um, signed Guido Bergstaller, got him from, um, second Bundesliga, hit the ground running. It was phenomenal. He unfortunately has, has dropped off that pace. Um, but Schalke are creating the opportunity. It's not like we're sitting here going, Oh, well, you know, they can't really play out from the back. They're losing the ball in midfield. They've got, the, they've got the basis there for a good side, but you can you can play brilliantly for seventy five percent in the pitch. But if that final third of the pitch you can't convert into goals, you're going to have a trouble. You're looking at eight corners, and and that eight corners yielded one attempt on target. Um, and then if you look at um, Hoffenheim, seven shots, two on target, two goals. I mean, if you if if Schalke could replicate that eight shot if they can get maybe three or four of those eight on target if they can put away 100 percent of their chances they win that game easily and that's why i think it's a simple fix for schalke yeah maybe a, a bit of a parallel there to jürgen klopp first at dortmund and also at um at liverpool right chris that david wagner will need some time you know he will actually have to have the players that can play his football of course because he's come in and what he's done with these players that aren't his is he's turned them around pretty quickly. And that is a, that is a wonderful sign for anyone connected with Schalke because it means he can get players who are playing below par. He can either get them playing to where they should be or like all real good coaches can do. He can make average players great. And when you've got someone who can do that, you just need to supplement it with a few world class players here and there. And all of a sudden you've got a, a team that can dominate. And that's what Schalke need. They need to bring in a really good goal scorer and I'm not on about someone who can curl it from 20 30 yards I'm on about someone who can poke the ball in from three four yards all the time just knows the right run to make the right chance to be in one of those players that goals come when the ball clips off the back of his backside and goes in it's what you need one of those players and you don't really need someone like Lewandowski you don't really need someone 
you know, like maybe Marco Royce or, or Gotze. You don't need someone who, of that quality. You need a short poacher who can score consistently week in, week out from short distance. And that's what Schalke need. And if David Wagner is given time, which I think he will be at this club, um, and it's one of the questions I'll speak to the hierarchy about this coming week, uh, where can the club go after that? Because if he gets this time, I do think he can build a squad um, that can mount a challenge for the league. And look what he did with Huddersfield Town, a very small club um, round in England's second and third tier. He took them to the Premier League and he kept them in the Premier League. And we're talking a really small club. And Schalke are the, are the third biggest club in Germany. So if he's given time and the opportunity, it could be a real awakening for, for what's been a bit of a giant sleeping. Yeah, and then to mention that the other sides that are in and around, uh, I mean, there, there was many sides that I mentioned there, but RB Leipzig uh, drew at home to Wolfsburg uh, on Saturday, a game that I watched that I must say, very impressed with uh, Oliver Glasner's uh, side. I mean, they're unbeaten uh, in obviously the Bundesliga, but in all competitions and even every friendly that they had with Glasner as well. Uh, and they maintained that once again um, at the weekend. I mean, they conceded, as Chris was saying in our messages, backwards and forth, a Sunday league goal. It was um, the goalkeeper booted it upfield, uh, route one, uh, defender field to deal with it, and Timo Werner very calmly slotted it. Uh, in the back of the net but they did very well to come back and actually they had the better chances in that game it was a really good away performance and um, Manu how impressed have you been with Blaster and, and and how much he's improved Wolfsburg this season I mean they've, they've got better in recent times but this season they've, they've really looked very positive look I think it's no there's when I said this already last last week and of the top five sides um the four of the coaches have worked at Red Bull at one point in their career, right? Um, that's that's Rose, that's Glasner, that's Kovac, and of course Nagelsmann. And, and th- there's there's a good reason for that because those those are top coaches. They know what they're doing. Um, Glasner is a great example. I mean, the football that he's been playing um, at Wolfsburg. Yes, Labadia already did, laid the groundwork there last year, and um, Glasner has done a, a lot with that side. And he's slowly but surely getting his own elements in there. And he was praised highly. Remember, we had the uh, Tom Mittler on from the other Bundesliga podcast to speak to our, us about Glasner. And, you know, he was very rated very highly coming to this league. And I think he's, like Marco Rose at Gladbach, very much fulfilling that promise. Um, and I think give him a bit more time, like Wagner at Schalke, that there's going to be something very great is going to be built there because Wolfsburg have no lack of resources. Remember, I mentioned... It's probably a couple of years ago now that they have a similar budget to Atletico Madrid. Um, this is a side that should be challenging for Champions League spots, maybe even the title. And with Bayern not longer being the Bayern of the last seven years, there's an opening there. I mean, there is an opening there for any club right now to challenge for the title. And this is something that, I mean, as we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, that's something very exciting. But that also means that for the likes of Gladbach, Wolfsburg, Schalke, Leipzig, all of a sudden, this is a winnable league. And, um, you know, that's also because those clubs have made very big steps forward and are making big step forwards in their coaching. Coaching was something that I think we criticized quite a lot last year. All those clubs have have addressed these issues and you're seeing the results on the field. Amanda, just sticking with you, do you think there should be any concerns about RB Leipzig? Um, it started off so positively. But uh, in recent times, not looked so good. Uh, they haven't got a win in their last four in all competitions. Three of those games being in the Bundesliga, two draws and one loss. Uh, it started so well, but um, a little bit of a tricky time for them at the moment. Look, um, Leipzig, Nagelsmann, I think um, we saw the same at Hoffenheim. The, the start, not the starts at Hoffenheim were never that good. Uh, and then he turned it around in the second half of the season because his football is very complicated to play. Players need time to adapt. And, um, and so when you look at the, when you look at his start at Leipzig, he's one point off the top of the table. I actually think that's a good start for him, um, at the club. And considering that his sides always get better in the second half, I, I think Leipzig, we can reckon Leipzig is going to be one of the sides that are going to be at the top of the table for the entire year. And Chris, finally, just before we go, I, I think it would be a little bit rude, even though they lost to Borussia Dortmund over the weekend. Um, surely we have to say something about uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach still being top of the pile 
um, it would be rude not to mention them when they're they're top. Uh, what what can you say from them? Maybe from their performance this weekend. Uh, I mean, only to lose one nil against uh, Dortmund and still be top of the pile is still not the worst of weekends, is it? No, it shows you how well Marco Rosa has come in and, and made that side um, a decent football in, and team, which is what they've done. Um, teams are going to lose in this league. <laughs> that is something that we know for a fact. Um, especially the way it started. Um, and good sides are going to lose. And Borussia Mönchengladbach are a good side and they've lost this particular match day, but they're still top of the table. If, you, if you're if you going to look for any notes of criticism, I don't think I can find any for Gladbach or for um, Marco Rosa because if you would have sat down before the start of the season and, and sat down everybody at Gladbach or gone onto the public address system on the first game and said, after eight matches... Um, you're going to be top of the table by um, by you know by two points, but um, from some, um, it, 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 you can't really take them apart. There, there were eight games in; they got 16 points top of the table. Um, you just hope it goes on for them. I can't see it um, being sustainable for them um, because they've got a new coach and they're learning. And I think some of the same for Wolfsburg. Um, but I do think with Manu that Leipzig um, are going to be there come the end of the season because I've been lucky enough to see them play twice live this season. Uh, once at Union Berlin and the other at Werder Bremen and they were phenomenal on both occasions. And um, yes, they're one point off the top and they're in fifth. And if you say they're in fifth, it doesn't sound particularly good. But in essence, they're in second. Um, and, and I think they're going to be there for the rest of the season. I think... We're going to be looking at a three-way fight for me between Bayern, Dortmund and Leipzig. Um, how it comes out, though, not so sure. Um, but I think with the likes of Schalke and Gladbach and Wolfsburg and Bayer Leverkusen and Frankfurt, um, a poor old Freiburg, I don't think I've got the legs, Bryce, unfortunately. But I think we've got eight, eight or nine sides there that are going to be pushing maybe three for the title and we should be in for a very very good season only eight or nine eh? only eight or nine must say we are enjoying it so far aren't we eight games in very exciting and we will be excited to see what next week brings as well Manu um, just to go to you what have you got going on this week that you'd possibly like to bring to people's attention yeah, for those uh, who know what I do I also do cover um, the game over here in North America quite a bit so I was very fortunate to sit down with uh, Vancouver Whitecaps head coach Mark Dos Santos and I'm currently in the process of turning 45 minutes of audio into your audio into two 800-word articles, which is a, a more difficult task than you might imagine. Um, there was a lot said and it's going, it's going to, it's, it's been a lot of fun turning it into an article. So, um, that will be out in two parts on prosoccerusa.com. Um, I have a couple things planned for Forbes. So that, that will be on Forbes.com. Um, you can find that both, both those articles I will share, um, at Manuel Weff. And then, of course, we have the, the Champions League, um, in Champions League week this week. So we got all the previews, um, over on at Football Grad Live. Busy as always. Good luck with those 800 word articles. I'm sure it's not easy. Uh, Chris, you're traveling this week, aren't you? Well, where exactly are you off to? Yeah, I've got a a busy week of travelling, Bryce. I'm in Belgium for Champions League game for um, Football Grad Network for Football Stat, following Jurgen Klopp's journey with Liverpool again. Um, so they are um, at Ghent this week. It's coming. So yeah, I'm there. And then getting a bus, believe it or not, to Dusseldorf. Coach, not really a bus, it's a coach. Um, and then I'm in um, in the beautiful area of uh, North Ryde, Westphalian for possibly one of the biggest games of next weekend which is Schalke against Dortmund um, for football grad. I'm also there for Forbes as well. I'm going to be speaking to Alexander Jobs who's one of the marketing guys at Schalke um, just about what it takes to be a, a top Bundesliga club. Um, I'm also really excited to have um, some time with um, Jochen Schneider who is the head of sport at Schalke and I'm going to be asking him some questions about where he thinks the club could be in not just May but two to three seasons time. Wow, very exciting. Plenty of big names in there, Chris. Eh? Wow, what it is to be up at the top, boys. Eh? Um, well, that more or less does it this week. I've been your host, 
Bryce Dunn. And the only thing I would have to bring uh, to your attention, I suppose, is I spoke to Luke Hatfield um, for the Express and Star about Matthias uh, Pereira about his time in Nuremberg um, last season as he's at West Brom now. So if you're a West Brom fan interested in Pereira or you're interested in the championship in England, maybe you'd find that interesting. You'll be able to find that on my Twitter page, as I said, at BriceDunn11. But that more or less uh, does it for this week. I hope you're enjoying the Bundesliga, enjoyed the podcast. We'll be back very soon for another close and entertaining podcast and match day. Auf Wiedersehen. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.